failed ceasefire in Syria. The Parkland High School shooting. 45 wants teachers to be armed. Jennifer Aniston is getting a divorce. There's a lot of bad news, but the good news is... Welcome to The Good News Is, a good news show for good people. I'm your host, Olivia Taylor. And I'm your host, Dan Newford. The Good News is a show about happy thoughts, happy events, and happy people. We take staying informed about the bad news seriously, but we focus on the delightful stories that you should know about because sometimes you just need a smile. It's The Good News Is. We have exactly opposite um, energy levels right now, and I'm really excited to see how they play off of one another. <laughs> you have a lot of energy? I feel pretty energetic, yeah. And you literally have yawned four times since we started recording the introduction. <laughs> well, it's 11 p.m. on Sunday night. Yes, and as I- usual. Yeah, I guess out of our three episodes we've recorded since I've been here, Two of them have been you at night, me during the evening. Yep, and I've been with my five-year-old niece all day, which, I mean, it is tiring. Yeah, my sister Emily, she's, they just flew in town. Claire is five, and she it was her first time on an airplane. Yeah, we went hiking today, um, and we went to the Santa Monica Pier, which I normally very much despise, but turns out when you're with a young child, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's sort of designed for either drunks or young children. So that kind of, you you sort of met, met the demographic, at least 50%. I didn't have a drunk young child with me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got a hot dog, a veggie, or I got a veggie corn dog. Mm, tasty. It wasn't, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Is that interesting <laughs> content? Super interesting. <laughs> so far, so far we are h- firing on all cylinders here at the Good News. <laughs> <laughs> I had it with mustard and ketchup. And then we got um, uh, Mexican food and they got my order wrong. So I ate a lot of Girl Scout cookies. Pardon me. Yeah. D- wait. So your diet today consisted of a veggie corn dog, Mexican food and Girl Scout cookies. I also had scrambled eggs and half of a soft pretzel. I'm still waiting on some form of vegetable. <laughs> there was lettuce on my taco. Oh, good. <laughs> Listen, it was a fair day, so I could eat whatever I wanted. Oh, what if you work on a, at a fairground? Is it every? Because then every day is a fair day. I don't though, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Plus, I went for All a right. hike, so. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's enough of this goofy intro. Um, we are super excited this week um, because while uh, we first of all wanted to uh, to wholeheartedly apologize for missing last week, um, just schedules, as, as we've mentioned, schedules just didn't really work out. But this week, um, being the, the last week, this will go up um, pretty much, yeah, the, the last week of February, which is, of course, Black History Month. Um, so in honor of Black History Month, we're doing a little bit of a change-up to our usual 
um, dynamic. Liv, do you want to talk about it? Um, so we each decided to choose um, an American, uh, black American throughout history who's made an impact on um, the country, the nation as a whole, or even just a small part of their nation. So neither or of the nation, uh, neither of us know who the other one chose. Um, so usual mysterious form. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're just both going to talk about them uh, kind of one by one and then, you know, have our usual format where we ask each other some questions. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited because there, when we thought when we decided to do this, the original idea, it actually admittedly was for us to each pick three because I have four or five that came to mind. Um, and, and maybe we'll end up doing more, but I think just in the interest of time and, and wanting to give these people the sort of time that they deserve on our, on our episodes, we decided just to keep it to one each. Um, but I, but I hope we get a chance to highlight the, the other people on, that were on my list uh, sometime in the future. So yeah, so before we go into um, our coverage of, of Black History Month, which are the two people that we, we decided to pick, um, which I'm very excited to do, I, I just wanted to make sure we took a moment to acknowledge the fact that we are two white people doing uh, covering stories about black people for Black History Month. Um, it's important for us to note that, you know, we in no way can sort of relate to the situations that the people we're covering got, uh, went through, nor can we even come close to relating to the situations that people of color go through day in and day out. We just felt it was important to use what um, medium we have to highlight some of the important people in our history and to, and to celebrate you know, the things that they have done for society as a whole. Um, but I certainly don't want this to feel like two white people doing a story about black people so that we seem like we're woke and uh you know all inclusive it's it's really just a chance for us to say there's some really 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 important people in history um and whether they i don't i don't know if you chose someone who did amazing things for black culture specifically or for american culture in general arguably they're one and the same um but I think we just really wanted to highlight the the things that um, the amazing comp- contributions that people of color have, have provided to American society in the past. Yeah, I could not have said it better myself. <laughs> okay, cool. So with with that, um, please do please do appreciate that we are treating this subject with with as much respect as we possibly can, and, and in no way trying to um gain off of the backs of you know the stories we're telling I, we don't make a profit from this show anyway and we, specifically this episode we certainly would not be taking a profit from it we would be promptly donating it but we would be donating zero dollars <laughs> yeah um i would like to go first if that's okay oh cool yeah i was gonna suggest you go first anyway well, yeah, I know that you're really excited about yours, so I kind of want you to close out the episode or close out the segment, I guess. Um, but, right. but first, I want to say who I almost chose, and then I realized that, nope, she's not an American. Uh, <laughs> nice. Actually, yeah, can we start, before we go like go into it, can we talk a little bit about, like, really, really quickly about the ones we almost chose? Yes, we can. Right, so go ahead. Well, okay, so not the one I was just about to mention, but a different one. Um, I almost chose Josephine Baker, who was a a showgirl. And then she was a leader in the civil rights movement. And actually after Martin Luther King, and she was a spy, I should mention that as well. Um, 
And then after Martin Luther King uh, Jr. got shot, Coretta Scott King asked her to become the face of the civil rights movement. Um, But she actually turned it down because she didn't want to risk dying in front of her children. Also, I think... I also think maybe she was French. I know she lived in <laughs> France. <laughs> okay. Uh, my what was second. Her name again? I don't. So, what was her name again? Josephine Baker. I've, I've heard the name before. I, I guess uh, shame on me for not knowing who that is necessarily. Uh, my second one that I was going to choose that I didn't choose because I realized she wasn't American was um, the uh, Liberian president. Current. Well, I actually, she just ended her presidency, but um, Ellen Sirleaf. Um, she's the world's first elected black female president and Africa's mm. first elected female head of state in the entire continent. And um, wait, she's American? No, I said she wasn't American. That's why I didn't oh, choose her. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, in 2007, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by um, George W. In 2011, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel Peace Prize, sorry. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Uh, most importantly, she is the aunt to Retta, who plays Donna Meagle on Parks and Rec. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> I, I think I, now that you say that, I think I remember you telling me that. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So those are the people I almost chose and then decided to go, um, to go with this final one. Uh, nice. do you, do you want to um, say yours now or that you almost chose or do you Yeah, wanna- yeah. Um, so the one that like all, whenever I think about talking, uh, doing something like regarding Black History Month, for me is uh, the one that always pops to mind is Jackie Robinson. Um, just such a cool person. He's obviously the the uh, first uh, black uh, baseball player, professional baseball player, um, who played for the L.A. Dodgers. Um, oh, I didn't know so he, he played for the Dodgers. Yep, he played for the Dodgers, number forty three, mm. I believe. Um, really and not good only was vegan f- hot dogs. That's true. I had eight one game. <laughs> um, not only was he the, what I really like about him as a story, and, and frankly, a lot of these people, but um, is it's not that he was just the first black um, baseball player uh, or professional baseball player. He also was really fucking good. Um, so it's just, it was just cool that he was a major sort of slap in the face to the previous racism of, of uh, baseball, professional baseball. Yeah, very cool. Um, Shoot, and then the other one. Oh, I was gonna do Sam Cook. I thought that would be a really interesting story, just because of his, um, however short but incredibly significant contributions to the music world, and and sort of bridging at the time he sort of bridged a, a major gap, um, in genres, which uh, I think was again sort of surprising for people to see a black man um, performing the mu- the type of music that he did um, as as often as he did. So uh, he was he was gonna be fun to do. Um, and not to mention his mysterious death. Yes, that's and that's a pretty interesting story. There really should just be a Black History Month podcast, but I, we are certainly not the people to do that. There are so <laughs> many, first of all. <laughs> there oh, are there definitely is. some. Second of all, I think they're probably going to talk about Sam Cooke's death in Disgraceland, the podcast, probably. Um, and then the last one that I wanted to choose, just because I think it was like... Sig- Oops. significant to us um as well as as rosa parks um just having been a a detroit resident and and honestly um the main reason i was excited about rosa parks is i know she refused to give up her seat um on the bus but i know there's a lot of other interesting things about her and i don't know 
any of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I wanted to choose someone that is perhaps lesser known and not just like, yeah, we have our 10 black heroes. Here they are. Um, yeah. So I chose Ida Wells. Have you ever heard of her? Mm. No, I'm very excited for this. I don't know who that is. Yeah. So um, she was an African-American journalist, newspaper editor, and owner, suffragist, sociologist, feminist, um, and an early leader in the civil rights movement. Oh, wow. Yes. So I'll kind of explain most of those. Um, yeah, I was going to say that those are a lot of titles. I'd love to hear like, what what she was doing with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So first of all, um, her parents and her um, her brother died at, um, when she was, you know, at a younger age. And in order to keep all of her siblings together and out of foster care, um, she took a job as a teacher. And oh. um, in that position, she resented that in the segregated school system that white teachers were paid $80 a month and she was paid only $30 a month. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, first of all, let's talk about $80 a month and $30 a month, just like... <laughs> in general, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even with inflation, yeah. Yeah, but let's also remember And also, that. like, can we have a better representation of the three-fifths compromise? <laughs> no, it's now the three-eighth compromise. <laughs> Well, eighty to thirty. Uh, I know, not not exactly. Yeah. Math, uh, listen, I'm not. A, we're not a math podcast. Also, the the whatever three fifths compromise was not about money. No, I'm aware of that. I'm oh. saying I'm saying it was about representing black that black people represented three fifths of a, of a person. Yeah, That's basically what this is saying financially. Oh yeah, I suppose. Um. So on this is pretty interesting, and it's actually. Even more interesting that you just brought up Rosa Parks. So on May 4th, 1884, um, she was asked to give up her purchased first class seat on a train and move to the smoking car. She bought the ticket. She had every right to be there um, and she refused. So the conductor and two men dragged her out of the car. Great. Yep. And then she wrote a piece about it for the local newspaper and the story gained publicity. Nice, yeah. So they chose the wrong person to uh, to discriminate there. Someone with a huge pulpit, right? Um, so after that, she hired a lawyer um, to help her sue the railroad, and she actually won that case and wow. a five hundred dollar payment. Even though previously um, a law had uh, remained in place that um, was attempting to be overturned, but remained in place that um, uh, railroads could act upon their racist um values basically oh, okay so so they were they were actually right or wrong they were technically operating within their legal rights then well no they were allowed to tell her to move oh but they weren't allowed to, to physically assault her mm-hmm. okay. um so after she won that case the railroad company appealed this decision with the tennessee supreme court and then they won and Wells had to pay all yeah. the court fees. <laughs> so so Wells locally sued, just so I get this right. So Ida B. Wells su- sues essentially locally the train system and then wins. But then the train system essentially countersues yep. the Supreme Court and then takes it to the Supreme Court. They didn't countersue. They appealed the decision. Um, gotcha. With the Supreme Court. Okay. Yeah. With the Tennessee Supreme Court. And then they won. <laughs> Great. Yes. Um, so during so is all- that 
Th- that means it ne- like negates her win altogether then. Yeah, she didn't get the payout gotcha. and um, it's just overturned basically. It's like it didn't happen except for that she had to pay all the court fees. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so while she was working as a teacher, um, she was actually offered a position. I think this was after the railroad um, incident, but offered a position to write re- weekly articles about specifically about race in a local paper. Um, but she used a pen name because she couldn't, you know, um, risk her, you know, being attacked and, you know. Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. Um, so on kind of a fast track, um, in 1889, she actually became the co-owner and editor of Free Speech and Headlight, which is an anti, which was an anti-segregation uh, newspaper. Oh, nice. Yes. After she was fired from her teaching position because her writing discussed the terrible conditions of the black schools in her district. Oh, so she was still a teacher when all this was going on. Yes. I, I sort of, for some reason, assumed that she'd moved on. So, But at the same time, she was in the middle of a lawsuit teaching and writing. Uh, the writing the writing kind of came after the, the lawsuit. Gotcha. But yes, okay. yes. Um, wow. The, the newspaper was not a full-time, full-time thing. Um, and so then she was let go from her position because obviously schools were still segregated and also obviously the white schools were treated much, um, much better and given a much higher budget than the black schools were, which was something that she frequently discussed in her articles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of fast forward, she's still not a teacher, but, um, she wasn't, she was living in Memphis and there was a, um, black grocery store that opened up right across the street from a white grocery store and was actually um, white owned, black owned, I should say, was actually competing with the white grocery store. The black owned grocery store was competing with the white owned grocery store. Um, And there was a a kind of a brawl between the owners and um, three black men ended up being arrested for um, assault or attempted murder or something of the sort. And then they were publicly lynched, which... Oh, my God. For people who don't know what lynching is, um, it basically means that the um, the accused are... Well, not necessarily hanged, but um, the accused are killed without a trial. So it's like... I always thought it was, I always thought it was hanged, just, just always hanged. I don't know if it specifically is. I'll, I can look no. it up right now. Um, but basically it just, it means that they were killed, um, by citizens without a trial. And this was in the late 1800s, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So slavery ends in 1865 and here we are, what, like 20, 30 years later and still at least, at least a few decades later and and we're still allowing public lynching. Yeah. About, about 20 years later. Great. Yes. So, um, the lynching at the time was supposed to be used for um, uh, black people who were, it wasn't illegal, um, but it was supposed to be used for black people who were, um, who had committed crimes against white people. Listen, I just want to say, <laughs> oh, the way that I'm speaking about this makes it seem like I am in support about, of it, but I'm just trying to state facts of the time of what the, of what society was like at that time. So 
yeah it was when i say supposed to be i mean legally allowed to be used um against black people who um uh, committed a crime against white people specifically however after this public lynching um wells brought to attention that it wasn't always used for that and it was oftentimes used for um black people who were wrongly accused or um not proven guilty or well i mean that's what lynching is but mm-hmm. you know wrongly accused basically right basically someone just decided that they broke a law so they died right so um after this the the people who were killed who were lynched were her some of her friends Mm-hmm. So after this, um, she called for people of color to leave Memphis altogether, and more than six thousand people did. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So that kind of launched her anti-lynching movement and her um investigative journalism career. Mm-hmm. Um. And she was getting threats to her life left and right, obviously. So she yeah. also left Memphis and moved to Chicago. Oh, okay. And then, um, so in Chicago, when she moved to Chicago together with Frederick Douglass, who, if you remember, 45 thinks is still alive, um, and other black leaders, she organized a black boycott of the 1893 um, World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago because um, specifically for its failure to collaborate with the black community on exhibits um, that represented African-American life. So, um, and I got to say, I have no idea what that is. What is the World Columbian Expo? The World Fair, basically. Oh, okay. I didn't know that that's what it was called. So, well, okay. So the, the World's Fair that was held in Chicago in 1893, it says to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the new world in 1492. Um, but basically the World's Fair, if anyone has read Devil in the White City, um, it's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, I suggest that you do. It's about um, the world's first or the country's first serial killer. Um, but it's a true story. But perfect for our first book recommendation that the good news is. Definitely not our first book recommendation. There's absolutely no way that's true. Possible. Um, uh, so the World's Fair, I mean, do you know what the World's Fair is? Yep. Yeah. I mean, basically just showing off new inventions new discoveries new um companies whatever um mm-hmm. from around the world like the the one in chicago is where the ferris wheel premiered um all sorts of things and that ferris wheel actually remained on the navy pier for hundreds of years but so she called for a full bo- boycott of that in mm-hmm. 1893 so ida b wells died um of uremia which is a condition involving abnormally high levels of waste product in the blood. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty gross, huh? That's a tough way to go out. Hopefully that's been eradicated with modern medicine. <laughs> um, so she died um, at age 68, actually in 1931. So she lived for quite some time after um, yeah. her boycott. But uh, Chicago actually has... Um, her house that she lived in when she was there. Um, it's a Chicago landmark and a national historic landmark. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So we should try to check it out next time we go there. Yeah, actually that's a really good idea. And I looked at a picture of it and it just looks like a Chicago house. So funny. Yeah. Like 
just it's just amazing how you know that architecture just remains you know yeah it's been around it's so such a specific architecture and it's been a part of the history for so long so yeah that's ida b wells cool um do you know what it did it, did it sort of lead to anything do you know if there was a, sort of an outcome or was it just i mean so many people who are victims of their own circumstance or not not they're victims of society i guess is the better way of, of saying it of a, of a racist society are just like important pieces of the puzzle but do you know if like specifically anything is attributed to her um so i don't know too many details surrounding it um but there's also you know some discrepancy about the history her history because this was in the 1800s and you know um black female history was not very closely (laughs) documented so a lot of it a lot of it um was kept through her diaries that's how a lot of the information was um was found Mm, that makes sense yeah and that's something that i I, you know i started i think that i was what i was just sort of saying was starting to imply that you know oh she didn't do it like nothing came of of her work which i don't mean to imply at all i think it's it's just what is so incredible with a few um black women throughout history is especially in the the late mid to late 1800s you know slavery is abolished but it's I guess in the grand scheme of things, very fairly recently abolished to have the, the, the gumption and the, the, the courage to stand up for themselves, black women of all, you know, you know, who were, who were at the time, the most sort of, um, oppressed people, oppressed of society. Still, Um, still the most oppressed. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but to to be able to have the courage to stand up for yourself and to fight for what you sort of believe in in whatever pulpit you have um, and to be so talented, and I, I don't even want to say talented because that belittles it a little bit, but just to be so intelligent um, that y- despite your um, marginalism, you... The, the people have no choice but to, to hire you to write for them and, and for other people to read you and listen to you um so to, so to become such a, a powerful force against you know all all the odds essentially is is really amazing well to be fair uh well not to be fair but to point out the newspapers she was working for were certainly black owned there's no way they were white owned sure yeah so sure, sure that's how she got that platform because they worked hard for it. Not because a white person gave her that opportunity. Let's not give them any, right. any credit yeah, uh, no, where no. they don't deserve it. But um, I think it's important to note how little recognition black women throughout history have gotten. I mean, we all know, you know, um, Harriet Tubman, we all know Rosa Parks. Those are pretty standard ones, but how many countless other black women were there throughout history who Mm -hmm. um, didn't get the recognition that they deserved and honestly knew that they wouldn't get the recognition that they deserved or that, you know, should have been given to them. Um, I, when I was preparing for this to do research for this, I was looking through this book that I have called um, Bad Women Throughout History. And it's just like a... um, uh, illustrated little short snippets about women throughout history as it implies <laughs> and, um, there was only like who were bad there's only bad in a good way um, there's only like three or four black women in the entire thing 
So. Yeah, and it's that is you you bring up the the the, the pro, I think the proper point. It's it's not that modern although there are huge issues with modern society and racism it's not necessarily even a product of just modern society it's the historical sort of um uh the the lack of documenting um yeah i think any, my my point here is that it's not that they didn't exist it's that we didn't we pretended that they didn't yeah yeah or and, and in many cases attributed their successes likely to other other people yeah um yeah, so that is Ida B. Wells. Yeah, very cool. I liked that one a lot. I, I, I was, mine is a little more sort of well-known, but I was uh, I was hoping you would have picked someone who I'd never really, I, I, I heard the name when, when, I, when I was reading Ida B. Wells. I've heard that before, but I honestly would have had no idea. So thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had never heard it. Uh, I mean, we know the major stories, you know, Harriet Tubman was Underground Railroad, uh, pivotal in the Underground Railroad, Rosa Parks, the not giving up her seat. We should know about, we should know more about them, but I think it's even more important to learn about more, you know, women in history. Yep, exactly. That's my point. Well, I had a, I had a very um, sensationalized and dramatic introduction, um, but I I worry based on our our conversation we just had about... um, women in history, black women in history in particular, doing incredible things and essentially not being um, acknowledged for them at all. Um, there's a very similar thing happening here. Um, my, my introduction was how was about how this is arguably one of the saddest stories in American history, um, one of the most devastating uh, sort of occurrences for um, a man who is nothing short of a hero to American society. And I think all those things are true, but I don't want to read my dramatic opening because I think it would um, <laughs> devalue the conversation we were just having um, that this story happened time and time again with, with black women in history who were underappreciated. I think without a doubt, joining the echelons of the most important people in American history, um, right right up there with um, the people who founded this country, and uh, many of the other sort of uh, uh, civil rights movement leaders and things like that, like your Martin Luther Kings, your Malcolm X's and that and the like, um, without a doubt, uh, one of the most important people in American society. So I, I've talked about this man, I think, a little bit before, but I was really glad to be able to dig a little bit deeper. Um, and that person is Thurgood Marshall. Are you, uh, are you familiar with Thurgood Marshall? Definitely know the name. I'm sure that the story will come to me once you start talking, but it may not. Um, so you probably know Thurgood Marshall as the first African American um, Supreme Court justice in history. That's probably what you, um, I would imagine, attribute to Thurgood Marshall. Um, that's that's what I always kind of knew. I was like, yep, that's the first Supreme Court justice. Got it. But there is a lot more to his legacy. Um, well, is that perhaps what you thought? <laughs> no, didn't know anything. Oh. I guess <laughs> I just knew the All name. Right. Um, so as I mentioned, first Supreme Court, um, the first Black Supreme Court justice in history. But there was a lot leading up to and and, and following that uh, accolade. Um, so <laughs> I, I'd like to start with the fun, the fun stuff. Um, so Thurgood Marshall. 
uh, if you look at him, he is just a mountain of a man, just intimidating, but also just looks like a big sweetheart. Um, he, he grew up, um, in, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and, uh, while he went on to lead a legacy of just absolute prestige, and then you'll find later on in my coverage here, um, that prestige sort of turned to like a hardened, um, tough guy sort of, sort of demeanor, um, which I have a better way of describing in a bit, but, uh, he was a big goofball in, uh, in, in like, uh, elementary and, and, and grade school. He, I'm sorry. Uh, in fact, one of his like parlor trick, um, accomplishments, if you will, was that he could, um, recite the, every word to the U S constitution, which like, that's ridiculous. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. But the only reason he could do that is because a teacher gave, uh, pun- gave him that as a punishment because he was acting up in class and throwing paper at his friends. <laughs> <laughs> what, what year so, was, what year? Was he, he was really young. I think he, I think he was nine or 10 years old. No, no, no. I mean like what year was he living in? Oh yeah. Yeah. So this would have been, he died in, uh, he died in 94. He died at the age of, I think 80, 86 or something like that. So quick math that this would have oh, been late around like, 1920s. No, like the 19, when he was born, it might've been the late 1800s, but yeah, the, 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 the memorizing, the, the memorizing, um, well, if he's the, in ninth grade, that's nine, that's, he's nine or if he's in fourth grade that he's nine. So maybe like 1900. He was born in 1908. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so this is around like, you know, 1915 or something. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, Anyway, but just like a super fun, softy goofball. Uh, some other really cool stuff about uh, um, uh, Thurgood Marshall. His uh, his great grandfather was a slave, right? So he's only uh, he's only through what three generations removed from from a slave, and yet rose to a, a career as a prominent lawyer pretty quickly. Um, he has a, a quote here where someone asked him why he was so good at 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 arguing. Um, and he said, uh, I don't know. The nearest I can get is that my dad, my brother, and I the most uh, had the most violent arguments you ever heard about anything. I guess we argued five out of seven nights at the dinner table. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very similar to like how the McElroys um, and my brother, my brother and me always talk about. They're so funny because they used to basically do improv around the kitchen table. So I just thought that was an interesting yeah. parallel. I wanted to mention that that school that he did that at was actually called Frederick Douglass High School. It was obviously oh. not called that when he went there, but it was later named Frederick Douglass High School. So oh, very much cool. connected. Um, you'll find a lot of more connections with Ida B. Wells here in a bit, which is sort of um, coincidental. Um, so then he, he went to uh, Lincoln University. Was, so obviously he went to a black high school. He went to a black college called Lincoln University. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, then he decided he wanted to go study law and uh he graduated from high school in i'm sorry he he graduated from lincoln university top of his class just far and away a brilliant man um he he you know <laughs> he got his shit together uh, but obviously someone who can memorize the us constitution at 9 or 10 years old uh is going to be pretty intelligent uh, <laughs> especially yeah, when it comes sure. to law so he applies for, um, <clears throat> this is all this really important, uh, spark notes, but so he applies for the university of Maryland law school. Um, 
and like it's that's like me that's like some like a, someone graduating from the top of their class applying to Central Michigan University like <laughs> he absolutely could have gotten in but he was rejected because he's black um and this was that's really what set in motion the rest of his career in a lot of ways so he's denied entry to a law school he could absolutely get into because he's black um so that leaves a pretty sour taste in his mouth very similar to i imagine ida b wells <laughs> learning that she's making you know 30 dollars to the, to the uh, white teachers 80 dollars um sort of st- sets in motion a, a a chain of events um so he ends up going to Howard Law School, which is another black um, law school. But what's great about that is the um, the person who was when you say black law school, do you mean segregated black? Uh, yeah, it, well, historically black. So I yeah. think these the higher the, the institutions of higher education weren't necessarily segregated, um, but were sort of just naturally organically se- segregated. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, it was actually somewhat fortuitous, although disgusting, that he was denied because um, he ended up going to um, Howard under the, the tutelage of uh, Charles Houston, who was a very, very, I, I thought about uh, covering him as well. He's a very prominent figure um, in the NAACP and things like that. Um, fast forwarding just a little, um, he graduates from um, Howard magna cum laude. So again, just absolute brilliance. Um, so he joins the NAACP cause his, uh, previous professor, Charles Houston, uh, was also an attorney for the NAACP. So Thurgood Marshall joins the NAACP as an attorney, um, which is, uh, this is where the story gets, got really interesting for me. Um, I didn't realize how, I've always believed that the NAACP did a lot for um, communities and helped a lot of communities, but I had no idea that they had such an impressive legal history. Did you know this? No, I did not. Um, so his very first case for the NAACP, he ironically uh, gets to uh, argue a, cl- a case in which a black law student gets denied from the University of Maryland, which is the same school he applied for. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, so supported by the NAACP, he gets to argue this case. Um, And just, without a doubt, just just lights of fire um, and and absolutely 100% wins the case. Um, The student gets to go to University of Maryland. So I think in a lot of ways, uh, Thurgood Marshall could have said, okay, okay, mission accomplished, right? Like the thing that I got denied for, I have now fixed, sort of. Um, He goes on to try several other cases, um, but then there's one particular case that I think might be it might ring a bell for you um 1954 um Thurgood Marshall argues a case uh in front for the Supreme Court for, for <laughs> argues a case for the Supreme Court which is known as Brown versus the Board of Education are you familiar with this one oh yeah you know I think I've heard of that once or twice <laughs> you heard of that one yeah I would hope so um so for those uh for those who maybe are a little less aware I mean it's it you should know about it for sure it's it's very important um 
Brown versus the Board of Education is what started the civil rights movement. Um, kind of full stop there. It, it absolutely started the the, the, the civil rights movement. Um, so basically what it did is it, it, it outlawed or it outruled separate but equal. Um, so separate but equal was a a phrase that was sort of legalized um, as a result of Plessy versus Ferguson, which is another case, uh, which is kind of the exact foil or, you know, the exact counter to Brown versus the Board of Education. It basically says, uh, yep, schools can be segregated. Schools should be segregated, but, you know, we're going to treat them equally. Um, And that obviously was never the case, as you mentioned in your coverage, Lev, that White schools got much more funding, got much more attention. Um, white students were, were obviously and directly celebrated far more than black students. Um, so separate but equal is not equal. Um, and that's what uh, ultimately um, Brown versus the Board of Education determined. Um, so a little bit more history because I found this interesting. Um, Brown refers to Oliver Brown, uh, who was a father whose daughter was denied access to uh, her school um, in Topeka, Kansas because she was black. So the NAACP sort of cited that, of course, that because it's in front of the Supreme Court, it's more than just that one. Um, it's segregation as a whole. What is super important about this um, is that Thurgood Marshall is the fucking shit. He Not only did he want to win Brown versus the Board of Education, not only did he want to say legally segregation is no longer allowed, he wanted to say it so loud that it hurt racists uh, and, and segregationists around the world and around the country. Uh, and he did. He argued, so remember, he's the chief lawyer representing the NAACP. He, of course, had a team um, arguing for Oliver Brown against the Board of Education who denied Oliver Brown's daughter access. He argued the shit out of the case, absolutely demolished. He cited the 14th Amendment, which I'd really like to talk about the 14th Amendment at some point, but it's a really, really, it's the best, it's the best amendment. Um, It basically (laughs) is the amendment that gives um, right, the same rights to everybody in society, no matter what. Well, no, Um, no, no. Definitely the second amendment is the best amendment. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The second amendment followed by the 14th Amendment. Right. Those are the most important. No, the Second Amendment. I wish died. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so uh, citing the Fourteenth Amendment, but basically saying you are you are denying the Constitution if you are uh, if you are support sep- uh, segregation because separate but equal is not equal. Thus, you are giving some c- citizens special treatment on the basis of color. Um, and so he, uh, there's a few clips and it's, it's just incredibly powerful. He's just such an, 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 an immensely intelligent man and an intimidating force, but also so sort of endearing and, and, and relatable um, and sort of charming. And so to see just this brilliant man laying down the law uh, is amazing. Um, so like I said, he didn't just want to win. He wanted to win hard. Um, and he did. He, um, the... The, as the sort of Supreme Court um, announced their decision, there was apparently an audible gasp because um, it was a unanimous Supreme Court decision um, ruling against segregation, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was a unanimous decision. Did you know that? I did not know that. So every one of the Supreme Court justices, which is pretty, it's I mean, for big cases like this, it's pretty rare to get 
a unanimous decision. Um, but they doesn't it that, have to um, be unanimous? No, no, you can you can have a a split court. Oh, oh, I'm thinking I, I think of juries. Um, so unanimous decision, and that's really what I mentioned. Um, Brown versus the Board of Education started the civil rights movement. It's not just that segregation was no longer legal, which granted segregation was probably the the easiest to la- thing to latch onto in terms of racism and at the time. Obviously, there was so many worse things going on, but that was just the easiest thing for people to sort of wrap their brain around. But it wasn't just that it was no longer legal. It was that the Supreme Court had sent a message that it just absolutely would not be tolerated any longer, that we all agree that we are no longer going to have segregated schools. We're going to have to all coexist somehow. Um, And so that sent a really powerful message, which energized, I think, the civil rights movements or or the people who were sort of at the the heads of the civil rights movement. Um, It really energized them to to take to take to take a more sort of formalized stand. I think I would never argue that the people who were leading the civil rights movement prior to were disorganized by any means, but now they had a very clear and legal rationale for what they were doing, right? They were no longer just marching and and protesting racism. They were protesting a law now, right? They were saying this is the law. I am operating within my legal rights to tell you and to march and to protest and to have, and to force my kids into the school because the law says that the the federal law says I'm not allowed to. So it was Well, they it, weren't it, protesting a law. They were protesting with the law behind them. I think is yeah, what you yeah, meant. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I I only I only mean to say that they now had like a very clear thing that they were that they were fighting for whereas before it was maybe a little bit incredibly important right but it was a little harder to it was a little more conceptual now it was very tangible do you know what i mean yes yes yeah um so unfortunately of course um some then you know there wasn't all it wasn't all good uh, obviously it led to tons of race riots um there was uh, obviously the little rock nine which was a, uh, just very quickly a, the um, governor of little rock sent national guard in to bar nine black students from a white school that they were entitled to go to um eventually eisenhower <laughs> took a long time but eventually eisenhower had to send in american troops to let those nine students in um and that was the least violent of of the the issues that came out of this but um you know a lot of a lot of challenges um but ultimately uh Thurgood Marshall was the reason why we no longer have segregated schools and sort of, I would argue, started the civil rights movement. Wow, that's Uh, pretty incredible. I didn't know it was in that order. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible man. Um, And then just a a few amazing things that he also did. So um, Lyndon Johnson was the one that, uh, so John F. Kennedy nominated him to uh, a federal court. I, I, you'll have to forgive me. I don't actually know much about like the, the judiciary branch um, the, or the judicial branch, but, um, or the legislative branch or the executive branch. <laughs> um, but so JFK gets him essentially from the NAACP into government, so to speak. Um, and then Lyndon B. Johnson in, in 67, um, who Lyndon B. Johnson was a Democratic uh, after it had flipped <laughs> um, president say he nominated him for the Supreme Court saying um, quote it's the right thing to do the right time to do it and the right man at the and the right place um, so really just again sending that message like 
don't 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 trip yeah. <laughs> um it's there's nothing to do with he's black the fact that he's black it's it's that he's a really important man um so he later went on uh, on the Supreme Court to um, obviously as a member of the Supreme Court, you don't argue, but you argue amongst each other. So he was uh, pivotal, pivotal in the decision uh, with Roe v. Roe v. Wade to give women the um, choice to have an abortion, mm-hmm. um, which I, who knew Thurgood? I mean, I guess a lot of people probably, but I had no idea that Thurgood Marshall the guy who started, who started, ended segregation in schools and started the civil rights movement also fought for abortion rights or the, the, the right to choose. Just real casual, you know. Yeah. Um, he also um, is was pivotal in the Supreme Court to outlaw the death penalty, which I imagine is very much related to your um, lynching uh, issue because I bet the death penalty was still being very heavily applied to people of color oh yeah so I so he outlawed, right. he outlawed the death penalty so um so by about 1975 1980 probably he had outlawed segregation uh, uh legalized the woman's rights right to choose what to do with their body and <laughs> outlawed uh, the death penalty so um, what have you done today? I was just about to say, <laughs> my job is taking Instagram photos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's where the story takes a bit of a, a sad turn, unfortunately. So he, um, it's about 1980, give or take. Um, he's still on the Supreme Court, still kind of riding a high. Um, but just because of the times, you think about your Ronald Reagans, for instance, things started to grow very conservative. Um, so, you know, Thurgood Marshall is an incredible, incredible lawyer and an incredible man and an incredible Supreme Court justice, but a lot of his um, achievements were a result of a fairly liberal Supreme Court at the time uh, while he was there. So he, he, it was kind of the right timing for him to, to have done all these things, not to discredit him by any means, but... Sure, the sure, Supreme he had the platform. Court, yeah, exactly. Um, all the, the support. All the so, uh, but around the 1980s-ish. Um, oh, actually, sorry started. to interrupt you one more time. It's co- sort of like yeah. how Obama couldn't get stuff done because he didn't have the support. Yes, it's exactly like that. And that's exactly what's about to happen to Thurgood Marshall. So um, things get super conservative. He's now left with almost entirely conservatives on the Supreme Court, conservatives in government, um, everything that he believes in. Some of it starts to get overturned, even if indirectly, um, you know, the, everything that he tries to put in front of, uh, the, you know, the, the government and try to pass. Um, there's no necessarily, not necessarily any cited examples. I, that was my fault. I should have found those. But he, he's a he's a progressive uh, equality hero and everything he tries to get through is denied time and time and time and time again. So this goes on for another, uh, like, 10 years. Um, He just is this man who brought so much positive change to society, arguably the most significant man in American government, bringing so much, for society, for social change, um, bringing so much social progress and so much social change, just stopped, just hitting a wall and not able to do anything anything for the rest of his career because of the people who are around him 
So he starts to get this reputation around the late 80s of just an old apathetic curmudgeon because he was exhausted. I mean, I mean the career he just, he had and, and he just kept getting denied. I mean, you, anyone would get exhausted. So he just started getting, getting exhausted. He became pretty, pretty reclusive. Um, he would only go, like his only vacations were going to Atlantic City to play a few hands of, of blackjack wearing a disguise and then taking food up in his room. Like that was like the only time he really left the house any longer. He just became super reclusive and super, I don't, we can't, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to speculate, but you know, I think there are signs of of depression, um, just becoming just battle, battle worn and depressed. And, um, there's some pretty significant examples, um, citing or, or references citing that he just felt like all of his accomplishments meant nothing, right? That he he had done nothing because for over a decade he's getting shut down. He's being mocked because he's an apathetic curmudgeon at this point, right? Um, so he's starting to think, well, maybe maybe nothing I did was significant or important. Um, and so in 91, he retires from the Supreme court. Um, it's, they, they basically called and asked him to retire. And that was the last straw. He just said, you know what, <laughs> after all I've done for you people, and now you want, you're calling to ask me to retire. Um, so he retires and then, uh, three years later he died of, of heart failure. Um, again, you can't, you can't, you can't reach quite this far, but he died essentially. The, the man who did wow. all the things that I've said so many times died yeah, thinking that he'd absolutely. done nothing, uh, which is is incredible. It's horrible, horrible. Um, and a lot to do, and had this very much to do with the fact that he's black. Um, there's a really wonderful quote here in his obituary, um, which this is kind of how I'll, I'll end it. But we make movies about Malcolm X. We get a holiday to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. But every day we live the legacy of Justice Thurgood Marshall, um, which is pretty powerful um, and absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so that's the, I mentioned this at the beginning just to kind of round it out. Um, there's, there are three, there are six, traditionally two people who are most prominently associated as the leaders of the civil rights movement. And they're Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X. But there are inarguably four, or I'm sorry, there are inarguably three, and possibly the one that doesn't get mentioned is the most important one, and that was Thurgood Marshall. So um, the people who really, the historians and the people who really understand the, the civil rights movement, which I would never pretend to, um, this is just me reciting things that I read, um, absolutely cite him as the, the third sort of father of the, of the civil rights movement. Well, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I'm glad that he's at least now getting the legacy that, yeah, you know, unfortunately after his death, but yeah, I mean, so many of the, the most wonderful people to have ever lived. That's how it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wow. That's pretty incredible. He's an incredible man. That, and I, I wish he yeah. got more, I wish he got more credit. There absolutely should be a third good Marshall day. But. Well, maybe we can make it. Happen. <laughs> yes. Our one podcast can make that happen. No, I meant we as in people on in America. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, let's work on getting Trump up first, or let's work on getting forty-five up first, and then we'll work on that. Yeah, so I know that was a really long-winded story, but I he's 
Thurgood Marshall is one of my most uh, uh, one of my most favorite people in history, and it's someone I love to to sort of learn and talk about. And I got to learn a little bit more about him for this. So sorry that went on a little long, but um, it's really important. He's an incredibly important person. Yeah, all of this is. I mean, Black History Month is a very um, important um, piece every year of every year. Yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, Liv, do you want to tell the listeners what our song of the week is? I guess like yes. song of like the last three weeks since we haven't posted an episode in a while. <laughs> um, well, it is a song that, well, it's actually kind of two songs, but I guess I'll just choose one of them. Um, so Janelle Monet, she recently released two new singles um, that... I cannot stop listening to on repeat. Um, and so I read this, I read this thing that was like, um, tweets about how basically Janelle Monae's first album is I like Prince. Janelle Monae's second album is I'm inspired by Prince. And then Janelle Monae's third album is I am Prince. Um, so she released two new, um, songs, one called Django Jane, um, and one called make me feel. So we selected make me feel this week. Um, it's sort of her, I mean, not that labels truly matter, but it's sort of her way as coming out as a bisexual woman. Um, if you watch the music video, you'll certainly understand a little bit more, but, um, which I highly recommend you doing because both of the music videos are amazing. Um, so yeah, we chose make me feel, which if you listen to it and you know anything about Prince, you will, <laughs> you will hear the, uh, the inspiration. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. Also, I have to say that Dan and I saw Janelle Monet at Bonnaroo a few years ago, and it was fucking fantastic. Yes, so. yes. And I don't want to uh, <laughs> underplay anything Liv just said, but also Janelle Monet is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she's talented and um, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. all those strong things. and a million yeah, yeah, other yeah. things. <laughs> she was great in Hidden Figures as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, this is a, a rare occasion where I didn't get to listen to the song prior to, um, but I love Janelle Monae's music, so I trust you. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you haven't heard it. It's I know, so, I'm, I'm, I have it pulled up right now. So good. I have it pulled up right now and I'm like, all right, I'm going to press play as soon as we hang up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should watch the video. Tessa Thompson's in it. It's really good. Oh, all right. Maybe I will. Um, so what is making you happy? Yeah. Um, just to keep on theme, but also just, I probably would have said it anyway. Um, the thing that's making me happy is the movie, the black Panther. And I, I'm not trying to like b- belabor Pan- the topic. It's just a Pander. fucking amazing movie. <laughs> I just heard that it's, um, getting $400 million in revenue and that it's, um, slated to surpass the Avengers as Marvel's most successful movie of all time. That's awesome, and it's uh, it is legitimately well deserved. Now, absolutely, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Like as a as a significant part, uh, like of uh, 
piece of art, I guess, or production in society. Yes, but like on its own, it's so fucking good. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen it yet because, I mean, to be honest, I wanted to give it my money in in opening weekend, but I have really bad social anxiety and the um, theaters in Los Angeles, California, as you can imagine, were packed to the brim. So <laughs> I'm waiting a little bit, but I will certainly see it's it. so good. So, so, so good. All right, what's making you yeah. happy? I, it's funny that you chose Black Panther because... I chose Annihilation. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, Annihilation is an all-women-led uh, all um, uh, action sci-fi movie that just came out. It just premiered um, uh, on Friday, and I saw it opening night. Um, and I read the um, book. It's a, it's a trilogy, the Southern Reach trilogy, but I read the first book in the series. Um, and then I reread it before the, the movie came out because I was so excited. Um, the main reason that I got interested in the movie was one, because I had read the book already. (laughs) Yes, babe. (laughs) One, because I had read the movie and two, because my favorite actor, Gina Rodriguez, um, was one of the stars in it, which if you know, have listened to our podcast in the past, you've definitely heard me fangirl yes. about her and Jane the Virgin many times. Very She's many very times. important <laughs> to me. Uh, <laughs> Gina, if you're listening, I really want to meet you. Um, but so she starred in it and Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Jason Lee, um, lots of, you know, really well-known actors. Um, and there were actually only two men in like the entire movie that had lines. Um, but it was a sci-fi horror movie. Um, and actually the movie was a nothing like the book, <laughs> like basic, basic premise, <laughs> nothing like the book. I won't give any spoilers. Um, but just if you want to read the book or you have read the book and you're going to see the movie, just think of them as two different things but very beautiful aesthetic wonderfully written um perfectly acted nice so yeah go support uh you know an all women um action sci-fi movie because let's be honest there's not that many yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah and if you live um in the u.s it's in theaters but if you live um outside of the u.s it'll be streaming on netflix um in about two weeks internationally because of some Actually, because I'll tell you why, because Paramount thought it was too weird and they wanted to change it. Um, so what? there was a dispute. So Netflix bought the rights. Oh, wait, are you serious? Yes, I'm being dead serious. Wow. So Paramount, Paramount dropped it after the final after the final screen test. Holy shit. And Netflix was like, all right, your yeah, your loss is our gain. Take it. Yes. Yeah, so they wanted to change Natalie Portman's character to be. Um, more warm and likable, which in the book, it's her thing is that she's not warm and not likable. <laughs> um, but because she's the the main character, they wanted to change it, um, you know, to make us have a, a heroine. But um, so there was a dispute in Alex Garland, the um, screenplay adapter refused to change it. So Paramount basically gave its initial run in the u.s but sold the rights to it to netflix international (laughs) that is so cool i did not know that (laughs) yeah but if you can watch it on a big screen i mean it's really beautiful yeah i guess that does that is the also very scary 
All right. Well, I think that'll just about do it for us here um, at the Good News Is. Uh, thank, this, thank you so much for uh, for coming along with us on this journey uh, through our, our little uh, Black Black History Month uh, ref, uh, Black History Month special. Um, again, we just wanted to celebrate some amazing people, and, and hopefully you uh, hopefully you learned something, and, and hopefully you enjoyed listening to these uh, amazing accomplishments. Yes, and also um, for staying up past my bedtime with me. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that they're going to be able to tell that it's past your bedtime through the 48 yawns. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hate when people yawn on podcasts, but I mean, listen guys, it's 12.15 a.m. <laughs> well, with that sleepy, deepy voice, do you uh, have a final moment of funny for us? I do, but first I want to tell them where they can find oh, us. Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea, huh? Yeah, so you can find Dan on Twitter at MuseAndNoob and on Instagram at OnPunsAndNoodles. Um, you can find me on Instagram at ThroughTheSprawl um, and on Twitter as not underscore underscore Aaron. Really got to change that that <laughs> handle. Um, <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GoodNewsIsHandle. Ricky What's that? It's a song, but it's Ricky. Don't change that number. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Good News Is Pod. You can find us on Facebook. Which, guys, we're gonna get it going again. It's just been <laughs> it's been hard with Dan being across the world. Nineteen hour time difference. Live just, times live are just, tough. It just becomes a sleepy, apathetic nothing when I'm gone. Just kidding. <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. Know, I'm just kidding. I don't mean that. It was just so funny that we're like so offensive. We're blaming everything on me being gone. <laughs> well, it's hard. It's hard, guys. We, it's hard. Um, and you can email us at goodnewsispod um, at gmail dot com. Obviously, because where else would you be emailing us? Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. So for the final moment of funny. Guys, I love doing this thing. I have so many funny saved tweets on my Instagram collections that I just like to look back at and and laugh. Um, I was going to choose a darker one that was about gun control, but then I decided that this one was funnier. All right. Can't so wait. it's at it's at ghost girl GRL. <laughs> First of all, I want to say BuzzFeed posted it okay. on their Instagram and the the caption is wow true um and it's damn smash mouth was right the years start coming and they really don't start coming (laughs) (laughs) so if you could play us out with smash mouth's uh all-star that would be really great thank you (laughs) thanks for that and thank you so much to our listeners we love you so much this has been the good news is hey keep those pets cuddled and smooched bye bye Don't stop coming back to the ruins and they hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back street? You never know if you don't go. You never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid and all that glitters is gold only shooting stars break the mold